In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, God's word teaches us that there are only two types of people in this world. There are those who gather around the Lord's word and sacraments and those who don't. Those who believe in God, who bemoan their sin, who turn to Jesus as the Savior from sin, death, and hell, those are the ones found around the Lord's gifts. And those who don't are not. Now those who believe in Jesus come to church to hear his word because Jesus himself said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple. Therefore, those who remain in, continue with, and consistently hear the word of God are true disciples of Jesus. Listening to God's word is not only essential to becoming a Christian, but it's also essential for remaining and staying a Christian. The truth is, I know some of you may still believe that someone can be a Christian apart from abiding in God's word. Some of you may still speak this way, saying, look, even though my loved one doesn't come to church or receive the sacraments, they still have Jesus in their heart and that they still have true faith. Or others say, look, even, even though he or she hasn't been here for six months, a year or longer, I'm not worried. They believe and they still follow Jesus. But the truth is, is that we need to speak more honestly than we have been. If you meet a Christian outside of the church, someone who calls himself a Christian but doesn't come to church with other Christians, doesn't hear the word, doesn't remember his baptism, doesn't receive communion, doesn't sit under the pastor that God has called for him, then this would be very much like finding a fish out of water. Either that fish is dead or it is quickly dying. Anyone who tries to live apart from God's word either no longer has faith or their faith is quickly dying. Faith cannot survive alone. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, as Romans 10 says. Zion, it's really quite simple. Christians come to church. Unless they're dying, unless it's absolutely impossible for them to get here somehow, the Christian will be eager to come to church and make use of God's gifts. Yet even those who can't make it to church, who can't gather around God's word, still recognize and acknowledge that there is something here that they're missing, that they want to be a part of. Now, with all this being said, even though this distinction between those who are in the church and those who are outside of the church is a true and valid distinction that we see in the scriptures, it is not the distinction of the gospel lesson that you heard today. That is not the difference between the five wise and the five foolish virgins. What the text is teaching us today is that there is a division that happens not only between those who are in the church and out of the church, but that there's a division between those who are in the church itself. A distinction between those who are externally associated with the church and physically there. On the one hand, there are those in the church who live externally good and decent lives. You can see this. They openly confess faith in Jesus' word and in Jesus' word by word and deed, and we give them the benefit of the doubt that they are indeed Christians. That's what we should do. What else can we conclude? 
They speak and behave like Christians. But on the other hand, there are those who are in the church, but you can tell with near certainty that they are not Christians. I'm not talking about people who sin. We all sin. I'm not talking about people who sin really, really bad either. That's not even a meaningful distinction anyway. We all sin really, really bad before God. It's true. Some of our sins cause more damage than others, but every sin is bad enough by nature that Jesus had to come and die and forgive it. He's our only remedy for sin. So we're all in the same boat when it comes to sin. So that's not the distinction I'm talking about. I'm talking about people whose words and actions show clearly not that they are sinful, but that they are unbelieving. That their words and actions show not just that they're sinful, but that they are unbelieving. So if we found someone who is determined to engage in some sin, whether it be anger or gossip or adultery or stealing or disobedience uh, or disrespect or drunkenness or holding a grudge or whatever it may be, and we warn them to turn from that sin and repent of it and turn to Jesus who has come to forgive that very sin, and they say this, They say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that I'm wrong. I'm not going to change and I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. Then we know that that person is no longer fighting sin and has indeed stopped following the Lord Jesus. There's a word for this. It's impenitence. To be sure, I'm not talking about being presumptuous, that this should be an attribute that you have, or being judgmental. And I'm not talking about snooping around and trying to get dirt on people either, trying to find out the secret things that everyone has done in their past or that they, that they are currently doing. I'm talking about acknowledging reality, which is right in front of us, which is witnessed by others. When sin is out in the open before others, the Bible tells us clearly what we are to do. The Lord gives us a responsibility. We're not to sit back and wait for the Lord to just work it all out. When someone is walking off a cliff of unbelief and their soul is in danger, we are required in love to confront them, to open our mouths, to admonish them, to plead with them, to warn them. And ultimately, if it comes down to it, to act. We see this in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, and a dozen other places in Scripture. God's people are required to call a spade a spade, to call sin, sin, and to be honest, and to be truthful, and to acknowledge reality. And when it happens that the truth of God's word falls on deaf ears and is rejected, after so much admonition and love, God requires us to remove such a person with tears in our eyes from receiving the Lord's gifts, Holy Communion and absolution until they would repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance. This isn't mean or unloving. This is truthful and honest. This is simply doing what the Lord our God has commanded us to do in the Bible.
And if we don't do this, then we share in the responsibility for their condemnation. God holds us accountable for this, for not warning the impenitent of their soul's condition. All right. Now, with that being said, the distinction between those in the church who live an externally Christian life, obviously so, and those in the church who live an openly unrepentant life, is still not the distinction we heard in the parable today. (laughs) It's not the difference between the five wise and the five foolish. What's going on in the parable with the ten virgins is something different. So what's actually going on? The parable is quite clear, and it's simply teaching this. Not everyone you see in the church right now will be saved in the end. There are some who believe the holy gospel of Christ right now with you, but one day may give it all up and lose the faith. Some who truly believe right now who have the oil in their lamps will run out and fall away. And they will fall away not because their faith right now in this moment isn't genuine or true. Think about it. All the ten virgins had real lamps, they had real oil, they had real light. But some were foolish and thought that they had enough of it. It's not that those who will fall away had some fake faith or that they had the wrong substance in the lamp. It's that those who have true faith now may one day become careless and think that they've had enough of God's word, that I'm sufficient, it's done, I don't need to to, to continue in this anymore. I'll be fine. I'll just cruise to eternal life. And this is precisely what the Word of God is warning us against today, against falling away, running out of faith, inwardly and secretly rejecting the Word of God. How does this happen? Well, the foolish ones are those who think they can time out their faith, their life, and their repentance just right. They think they have just enough oil. To get by, just enough faith to make it, just enough of God's word to hold them through the night. They're the ones who think that they've heard God's word enough. They, they, they think they know it too well, who've been to church so many times. Look, I can spare a Sunday here or there to not pay attention or really believe what's being preached or being corrected or having to go through this whole repentance sort of thing. They think, what does it matter if I'm distracted or lazy and apathetic and inattentive to God's word? It counts for something, right? That I was here. I've got enough oil. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I have a piece of paper that says so. I know all the right answers. My name is on the rolls. They know me. I'm safe. The foolish are those who attach themselves outwardly and physically and externally to the church. You see them in the building, but they are those who have left or will leave the church inwardly, spiritually, internally by not preserving and reserving the word of God in their heart. They show up to hear the word and they let it go in one ear and out the other. In other words, they don't take this word of God with them in faith. They don't store it up and treasure it in their hearts. They don't keep God's word in their heart because they think they have more than enough. They think they've had enough of these sermons, of the service, 
and of these hymns to make it to the end. So they'll sing the hymns even though they might be boring. They'll sit through a sermon even though they don't listen. They'll endure all the teaching even though they're sick of hearing about Jesus' death and resurrection. They'll listen to the preacher even though they find him to be too much. They stop really repenting and trusting in the word, but they give the appearance that they do. They're lazy, slow to believe the word, and they're foolish. Now here's the catch. You don't know who they are. You don't know who these are. Think about it. In the parable, all the virgins look the same, at least outwardly. They're in the same place. They all have the same lamps. They all have the same oil, all the same light. They look the same, but there is a distinction. There is a difference. And you can't and you won't be able to tell the difference. In fact, you shouldn't try until the final day, the day when Christ returns. On that day, then you will know who among you has truly believed and who didn't. Who was here for appearances and for other reasons and who was here to hear the death of Christ and their salvation? But not before then. So while we're required to make certain distinctions in and out of the church, this is a distinction that we cannot make. It's a distinction only God can make. Only God knows who keeps, who reserves, who guards the oil and treasures it in their, in their lamp of their heart. Only God knows who truly believes and will remain to the end and who won't. However, even though we can't know this about others now, that's not to say that we can't know this about ourselves. This is so important for you to understand. You can't see or know the faith in my heart or anyone else's heart. But you can know this about yourself. You don't know if those around you truly have faith or if they're lying to everyone and being hypocrites who pretend to believe for some reason, who come to church for some hidden agenda. So you simply give one another the benefit of the doubt that as long as they are speaking and behaving like a Christian, then they are. But you can know your true motives and your true intentions. So right now, this day, and the final Sunday of the church year, I want you to examine yourself before you begin a new year in this church. Examine yourself. Are you wise or are you foolish? That depends. Why are you even here? Why did you come to church today? Why did you become a member? Was it because of family? Was it because of friends? Or peer pressure? Or a job? To get a paycheck? To push an agenda? To join boards and committees? To be in control? Is it just your Midwestern culture? Is it a social club of like-minded people or just some weekly tradition for you? Or did you come to church this day because you know your sin and guilt and you want to repent? Did you become a member because you would truly rather die first than ever have to live a day without hearing the precious gospel of Christ? 
Did you become, did you come here because you truly believe this word and want your friends and family to believe it also? Or did you come because you would rather suffer all things, even death, rather than fall away from it? Did you come because you have no greater joy than hearing the self-donation of Christ, how he made you rich through his poverty on the cross? Did you come to learn actually how to repent, to trust in Jesus, and to love those whom Christ put around uh, put around you and carry their burdens? Did you come because you love what Jesus has done for you and you put your faith in the blood and the wounds of your God, your dear Lord who saved you from eternal condemnation? How foolish is it to come to church and not keep the word of God in your heart through faith? How foolish it is to be baptized as an infant and then walk away from it as an adult. How foolish is it to grow up in the church only to abandon it now? How foolish is it to receive the Lord's Supper in repentance one day and then ban yourself from it through impenitence another day? Who knows how many days you have left? Who knows how many times you're going to hear this word? Who knows? Don't let go of it now. Wake up. That is the word for today. This is foolish. The Christian life is one of constant repentance. It doesn't matter if you believed past tense. It matters if you believe now, present tense. It doesn't matter if you've repented a thousand times before. It matters if you repent this day. It doesn't matter if you've confessed the faith rightly once before. It matters if you confess this until your dying breath. Your name on the books and rolls here doesn't matter. What matters is if your name is written in the book of life through faith in Christ. For those of you paying attention and listening who are indeed concerned about your sinful condition, we're concerned because of the heavy word of God today. We're now kind of worried. Let me be very clear. This parable and this Sunday and this sermon is not meant for you to question your faith or your future. It's meant to correct and strengthen your faith and to solidify your future in heaven. Jesus tells you this parable because he actually wants you to, to, to stop being foolish and he wants to make those who are foolish wise. He wants to wake you up out of your stupor and remind you of what is most important. Jesus tells you this parable because he actually wants you there with him in eternity. He wants you prepared when he returns. This parable isn't meant to drive you into despair. It's meant to drive you into repentance and to have hope. And in driving you to repentance, it drives you to faith in Christ who gives you rest. The Sunday is meant for you to be wise and to listen to the word of God as if today is the last time you're ever going to hear it. Let that sink in, seriously. Take those words to heart. 
It is meant for you to hold on to this word and cling to it tightly, to hold it with, with, with faith in your heart as if it's the last Sunday you're ever going to be alive. And it's meant to give you the, all of the oil you need so much so that it overflows to fill your lamp to the brim, to fill your heart with faith and joy at the Lord's coming. It's meant for you to take this word with you and keep it in your heart until the day your bridegroom returns and saves you. Christ, your dear Lord, wants nothing more than for you to be his own. He wants nothing more than for you to wake up, to pay attention to the words and believe it when he says, take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And he wants nothing more for you than to wake up, pipe up and and focus on the font and hear that baptism now saves you. And he brings you here today, this very moment to hear the truth, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So no matter how many times you've been apathetic, inattentive, and negligent of God's word, even if that followed you here today, repent and turn to Christ. No matter how many times you've turned your back to Christ and his word through unbelief in your heart, Christ has not yet, not once turned his back to you. The door of heaven is still open. He is waiting for you once again. Even if you've run out of oil a thousand times before, Christ has waited for you to hear this word, to hear this sermon, and he has kept you alive this very minute so that you would receive all the word, all of the faith, all of the love, all of the peace, all of the blood, all of the joy, all of the breath of Christ in you that makes you wise into salvation. Everything you need to make it to his wedding feast, he has given you in his wounds. And he will sustain the flame of your faith with the oil of his holy and precious blood. Jesus says, remain faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.